Praise God. You can be seated. <laughs> it is wonderful to be here. We are so, we're so blessed. And, and uh, you know, we talk about the same thing, that that little church in Harrisville um, sent a lot of people, and it's still sending people. And uh, we just are so thankful that God sent us there because we thought we just we thought we'd just about die when we went to Harrisville, West Virginia. <laughs> we came from the big city up north. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that big, but Harrisville was even smaller than that. And uh, we met uh, Brad Miranda, Pastor Brad, Pastor Miranda there, and uh, also um, Pastor Erica and, and, and Brian, Pastor Brian that are in Iwakuni, right? Japan, yeah, and uh, we all grew up together. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we spent a lot of time together just uh, getting to know the Lord, and uh, it's been quite a, quite a trip. I, I am, um, I want to introduce myself, and I want to introduce my family to you, and uh, just let you know a little bit about uh, what God's been doing with us. Um, this is my sweetheart of 25 years over here. Uh, Scott, he is uh, a retired state trooper. That's what brought us to Harrisville in the first place. And now he's the chief deputy of our sheriff's department in Brook County. And he works hard and he is a spirit-filled, fiery man of God. And this is our youngest son, Ben, with us. And <laughs> he's 14 years old. He's our youngest and he's our sports our sports star, he's going to be a freshman at Jefferson County Christian School next year, and we are so proud of him. And uh, I brought uh, my associate pastor, Diane Loffrey, is here, and she is a fiery woman of God. We've been ministering together for the last 17 years, I guess, right? She was at the church before I was, and uh, so that's been a blessing. And then we have two, one of our greatest blessings of a family the Creeble family they're with us tonight so um, y'all get to know them they are the sweetest family ever that you'll ever meet ministry of of helps and encouragement and uh, we love them but um, I'm here tonight to bring you a word and I just want to um, piggyback off of something that that you said Pastor Brad oh wait um, one more thing I just want to recognize one more person because this is Im important to me I want to recognize Shirley who is Pastor Miranda's mom I told us I tell a story about her all the time she probably doesn't know that I do but uh, in 1994 I got saved in 1995 I got filled with the Holy Spirit I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I spoke in tongues, and that was an exciting time for me. And uh, then in 1996, I don't know how exactly how the conversation came about, but I said something. I was, I was talking to Shirley, and I said something like, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit a year ago, and I haven't spoken in tongues since. And she said, honey, you can speak in tongues anytime you want to. She goes, you go home and you sit down in your chair and you start speaking in tongues. And I said, all right. <laughs> and she was, you know, she was, the, she was the mature Christian lady. I, was, I looked up to her. I, and whether you knew it or not, I watched you and I listened to what you said. And so I went home that night and I sat in my chair and I spoke in tongues and I've been speaking in tongues ever since. And so <laughs> I thank you for that. <laughs> you are a blessing to me. Um, 
but I wanted to I wanted to piggyback off of something that that uh, you were talking about when when we went into this time in March, this quarantine and all of this crazy stuff. Um, God spoke something to my heart because that was a time where people were saying, you know, we're going to have to hunker down. Things are going to get tough. It's going to, it's going to be bad. And, and, you know, Mark eleven twenty three 23 tells us, and I, I just pulled it up here so I can read it to you. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have what? Whatever he says, you believe it in your heart. It's a two-part thing. You believe it in your heart, and then you speak it out of your mouth. You confess it out of your mouth. And so when we, when we you know, saw what, where things were going and the things we were going to have to walk through, uh, the Lord just impressed something upon me. He said, I want you to start speaking things out over the church. And I started speaking over the church. This is harvest time. This is not going to be a lean time. If, if God is a good God, then all of those seeds that we've been planting all of this time, he's not, he's not a foolish God. He knows when we need the harvest, right? And so I, I, sp- I kept speaking that over the church. This is going to be a time of harvest. This is going to be not a time of lack for us, but it's going to be a time of growth. This is not going to slow down our plans. This is actually somehow going to propel us forth. And so we not only did we... we and just speak it to speak it we believed it in our hearts that God is a good God and he is an able God he's able to do anything and so um we I spoke that and we just were able we went through this you know we went through it like everybody else a time where um you know we couldn't be in the building a time where we had to do, get creative and do drive-in church and do do crazy things like that but now that we're back in the building, we started to take stock of what happened over those last two months. And so we counted some things to see just exactly what happened, you know, just exactly how God came through in this time. And so over, I would say we went through about eight weeks of it. Over those eight weeks, our offerings were double and triple every single week. So God is not unable to provide God's hand is not shortened he is able to do what he says he can do and not just in times of abundance in times of lack is when he is especially able to show himself God show himself mighty and so help me out here honey because there were some numbers remember the day we gave the numbers to everybody so we 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 had probably double to triple the the offering in that eight-week period so that helped us we're believing for a debt-free building here um we added 10 new members in those eight weeks oh yeah we fed 75 families a month each of those two two months and we added one full-time pastor during <laughs> during during that time there were some other things too and i oh 20 20-some salvations, and these weren't just like hit them and quit them salvations. These were people that were actually added to the church and became part of the church. And so we just believe that God can do anything, that no matter what the enemy throws at us, that God turns it around for our good. I actually believe my, probably my personal anthem, I would call it, is that Whatever the enemy means for my harm, God turns it around for my good. There's actually a scripture, 
Um, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians. You can look it up and, and find it yourself. But it says something like this. It said, if, um, if the rulers had known what God's plan was, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. And God actually spoke to me that to me uh, at, at a difficult time in my life, and he said this. He said, if the enemy knew what this difficult time was going to bring out of your life, he would have never brought it. In other words, he's going to wish he never messed with you. He's going to wish he never tried to take you out because God is actually going to use it to do something powerful in your life. God is actually going to use it to propel you into the next thing that he has for you. And so don't be discouraged tonight. I don't know what you've been through in the last you know, few months, but God is still on the throne. God is still able to do anything, and he's not able just to keep you you, uh, where you were. He is able to take you farther, do more than you can ask or think or even imagine. And so um, I just want you to be encouraged by that. But I, I believe that the breaking point in that was, and, and actually this is what I, I preached on this morning in our church because it's so important, is that you believe it in your heart and you speak it out of your mouth. You've got to get the word of God in your heart. You have got to get the fire of God in your heart. You have got to be a Christian who is not, um, well, let me just put it this way. So many Christians use the Bible to pacify them. Like, I'm, I'm in fear, I'm worried, I need to read, I need to get into the Bible to, to calm me down, to give me peace. In fact, there was, a, there was a day, I told this story before to my husband, but we were babysitting my niece, and she's three years old, and uh, something upset her. I can't even remember what it was, but she, she's three, so ever, anything can upset her, and she stood in front of us with the fakest cry you've ever heard, just like, and she, she looked at me, and, and my sister was actually there at the time, she goes, Somebody needs to calm me down. <laughs> and Scotty and I looked at each other like, no, <laughs> that doesn't work here. <laughs> and so I think that's the attitude we take with scripture sometimes. Like, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Just calm me down. And, you know, actually the Bible is not supposed to just calm us down. It's supposed to fire us up, right? Right, I've been a Christian with fire, and I've been a Christian without fire. And I can tell you that it is so much better to have the fire of God in your belly, to not be just somebody who believes in God, but to be somebody who is on fire for God, somebody who, who has a, that driving force, the Holy Spirit, pushing them, propelling them, being obedient to everything he says, and just following his word. It's so much better to have the fire of God. And so I don't want to calm you down tonight. I want to fire you up. Because I think if we look around at the state of the church, we need a bunch of Christians to get fired up, right? We need to get people on fire to begin to preach salvation. We need to... Um, 
refocus the church from being a place where you come to get blessed to a place where you come to get filled so that you can go out and win souls into the kingdom. It's all about souls. It's all about uh, you know, bringing people in, into, the, into the family of God. And so I want to bring you a word tonight that I hope will fire you up. I hope it will get you excited and help you understand who you are in Christ so that you go out and you act like who you are in Christ. So I want to make this easy for you to remember. So this is called one, two, three. Can you remember that? One, and then one comes after that. Two, really good. What comes after that? Three, okay. So I'm going to give you three scriptures tonight. One, two, three. They're in Ephesians. One, two, and three. Ephesians has got to be my favorite book of the Bible. It just, it gets me fired up. When I get, um, you know, when I start to feel low or feel a little dry, I get into the book of Ephesians because there is power in that book. So I want to talk about tonight your authority, the authority of the believer, because I want you to know who you are. You are not helpless. You are not controlled by the circumstances around you. You are able to determine the flow of things in your life. You are not helpless to your circumstances. We actually are called to live above those things because we serve a God who is above those things. It just seems to me like, you know, why would we serve a God who is not able to do something different than what the rest of the world experiences? Why would we serve a God who isn't able to distinguish his people from the rest of the world, right? He's a powerful God. He's a great God. I love those songs of faith that you sing because it's not about woe is me, I'm this lowly sinner. It's about who we are in Christ. And, and that's what we really need to get a picture of. So I want to look at a few scriptures and hopefully get you fired up tonight about who you are. So we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to turn there. And if you have your Bible, it's great to turn there because sometimes when you see it with your own eyes, it, it sticks with you a little better. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to learn who Christ is. Ephesians 1.19, and I'm going to read for about four or five verses. This is talking about who Christ is. This is Paul, and he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere in himself. Where is Christ? He is above all things. It's almost redundant how many times it, it talks about 
where Christ is. He is high above, far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. You know what that covers? That covers earthly leaders. That covers government leaders. But that also covers Satan and all of his dominion. It covers every demon. It covers every principality and power, unseen power, some scriptures call it. The things that we can't see, this spiritual warfare that we can't see. Christ is above all of those things. Every name which is named in this age and in the age which is to come. So it's not going to change. When Christ died on the cross, he got all authority back. When he rose from the dead, he rose to the right hand of the Father. That is the seat of all power in the universe, is at the right hand of God the Father. There is no more powerful posture. There is no more powerful place than at the right hand of the Father. And that is where Christ is seated. He is high above, not just barely able to get past these things. He is high above. He is super above all of these things. That's where he sits. So I want to keep going with this. In, in Philippians chapter 2, we're just going to, I just want you to know who Jesus is and where Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2, the scripture says this in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is elevated to the place of highest honor. His name is above everything. Everything above earth, what's it say here? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That covers it all. Jesus is greater than everything. He is greater than anything. And see, this is like, I don't, I don't see anyone disagreeing with this, right? We, we understand this as Christians. We understand that Christ is supreme. Let me read you one more scripture, though, just to really get it into your spirit. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And he is the head of the church which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. He is above everything. There is nothing greater than Jesus. You'll never find a scripture in all of the Bible that talks about him being in a lower place than that. He has been elevated above all things, given the name above all names. And he is the head of his church, which is his body. It's important that we understand that analogy, the head and the body, right? 
that he is the head and we are the body. So the head is the center of thinking. The head is the center of thought. It's where the, the orders come from. But who's the body? We're the body, right? And so we, we take our orders from the head and we do what he tells us to do. And we're not just told blindly to do that. We're going to get into the second point here in a second. We are super supplied for to do the work of the head. We are a body who is operating in more power than we know. So I said, nobody disagrees with me when I read those scriptures about Jesus because yay Jesus right yeah he is above all and we have no problem exalting him and exalting his name but now let's move on so in Ephesians 1 we see where Jesus is and in Ephesians 2 let's see where we are because this is important to us so go back to Ephesians 2 and we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 in Ephesians 1, it said that he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. And in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, this is what the scripture says. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Every person who has received Jesus Christ is called in Christ, united with Christ, right? If you've received him as Savior, you are in Christ. You are united with him. And this here says, now this is where people get a little squirrely. He has seated us where? With him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus? At the right hand of the Father in the seat of power of all the universe. Where are you seated? Right there with Jesus. You have been given authority. Jesus said this in John chapter 14 verse 12, the same works that I do, you will do, but you'll do even greater because I'm going to the Father. Now how could we do greater works than Jesus unless he gave us the same authority and the same power that he had, right? In Luke chapter 10 verse 19, he said this, I give you authority over all power of the enemy. Authority over all. Now, who, who, what kind of authority does Jesus have? We just covered it. All. Far above. He's not struggling with demons. Jesus doesn't struggle with demons. It, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. You know, the devil is not Jesus's counterpart. The devil is not God's counterpart. The devil is actually the angel Michael's counterpart. So don't get this battle, this picture of a battle in your head between Jesus and Satan, where Jesus is just, you know, barely hanging on and just barely able to, to save us. There is no contest here. He is far above. He has all authority. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, I give you authority over all the power 
of the enemy. And, and you'll trample on snakes and scorpions, and nothing shall by any means harm you. And Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you probably know this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go in that authority. So he said, I got it back. And that's why he died on the cross, to get that authority back. I got it back. Now I'm going to go. And you can have the authority and you occupy. I'll be the head. You be the body. I'll be the command center. I'll be the one who gives you orders. And, and I'll give you my Holy Spirit to live in you so that you can hear those orders, so that you can understand those orders. And I give you my authority to walk out the, those commands. I give you my authority to do the works that I did. I give you everything that you need. You have authority over how much power of the enemy. All power of the enemy. If you believe that Jesus is at the right hand of God because the word of God tells you, then you have to believe that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places because that's what the word of God tells you too. What happens is there's a disconnect between the body and the head, right? So we don't have trouble believing who Jesus is. We have trouble believing who we are, right? We have trouble believing what he's given us. But you have authority, church. The devil doesn't want you to know you have authority. He wants you to, to just be those people who read the word just so you can get calmed down. He wants to, the word to be a tranquilizer for you. He wants the word to be a sedative for you. Read it and go to sleep. Sweet dreams. When the word is meant to be a sword to you, the word is meant to be a weapon to you, the word is meant to equip you, it's to bring life into you so that you can go out and do the same things. Hey, listen, I would be so happy if I just did the same works of Jesus, but he said, you'll do even greater works than I did. We got to get to those same works first, but even greater. And the way that we do that is not in our own strength, not by our own might, not by our own power, but by the spirit of God that lives in us and by the authority given us in Jesus Christ. So I want to move on. Man, there's some good scriptures. I don't want to skip these scriptures. I'm not going to move on. I want to read Colossians chapter 2 to you. This goes along with who we are. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 while I get a drink of water. Okay, Colossians 2, 9 through 10. It says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in, human, in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. What else do you need besides Jesus Christ? You are complete through your union with him. There is no second best in God's kingdom. And the sooner you understand that, the more effective you will be. At the moment of salvation, the same things are available to every single Christian. And not just some things, all things. 
Ephesians 1.3 says, he has given us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. So there's not a single thing that he held back from us. He gave us all spiritual blessings. There is no second best in God's kingdom. Now we know just by looking around that some people walk in victory and some people don't. But you got to get back to that Matthew eleven twenty three scripture that says, if you will believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you'll have whatever you say. And so the disconnect for a lot of Christians is, is that they're not in the word so that they're not getting the word into their heart. So it's not changing. Uh, it's not renewing their mind. It's not renewing. They're not learning to believe the word that thus, you know, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so if you don't believe it you're obviously not confessing it with your mouth and so you're not seeing mountains move right you got to get it into your heart you got to confess it out of your mouth I listened to the way that Pastor Brad and Pastor Miranda prayed just for a minute here at at the altar and I was like yeah Because when I hear, you know, when people come forward because they have a real physical need in their body or a spiritual need, and I hear, oh, Lord, if it be your will, would you please touch so-and-so? If it is your will, could you please heal them of this thing? No, I heard them speak to the affliction and tell it to go in the name of Jesus. They stood in their authority. See, sometimes we even pray for things we're not even told to pray for. We're told to speak to certain things and tell them to go, right? Like sickness. You don't ever have to pray if it is your will, Lord, heal. It is always his will all the time. Sickness is never from God. It is never something that he has given you to keep you humble. We are called Many, many times, and especially when we're dealing with physical healing, not to say, Lord, would you heal, but to say, I command in the name of Jesus for this ear to line up with the word of God and be in health. I command for these headaches to go. I command for this thing to happen because you have authority. A lot of times we're asking God to do things that he's already told us, go and do. You go do the same works that I called you to do. And you're well equipped. You're more than well equipped. You have everything that you need. So Ephesians 1 tells us where Jesus is. Ephesians 2 tells us where we are. Now let's look at Ephesians 3 because I think this is where I feel like we can get a little ornery. When I got filled with the fire of God, see, I've been serving the Lord for a long time. It was 1994 when I got saved. And I can tell you that I served him and loved him and was obedient to him. I loved his word. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But there is a difference in having been filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the fire of God. And when the fire of God really came into my life, oh, a year or more ago, it changed everything. It changed everything for me, and it gave me an attitude. It gave me an attitude towards the devil. It gave me an attitude towards the things that I had allowed him to take from my life and and I got a little I got a little ornery towards him so Ephesians 3 if Ephesians 1 tells us where Christ is and Ephesians 2 tells us where we are then Ephesians 3 is going to tell us why 
Why are we there? So Ephesians 3.10. I'm going to read 10 and 11. It says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I'm going to paraphrase that to you. God's purpose in sending Jesus to get authority and then Jesus giving authority to us, God's purpose in this was to display his wisdom to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The reason Jesus gave us his authority is so that we could show the devil just how wise God is, just how powerful God is. Your life is to be a display to the kingdom of darkness that they are defeated. It's to be a constant reminder to the devil that he is defeated, that he has no power here. Poof, be gone. You have no power here. Your life is to be a constant reminder, listen to this, to the devil of the power of Jesus Christ. You were not put here just to remain until you can go to heaven. You were put here to do work until you can go to heaven. You actually were put here to do damage to darkness until it's time to go to heaven. But most Christians just want to hang on until they can get into eternity. That's a miserable life. The best life is to be taking ground for Christ until you die. And then you go to heaven. See, we're not called just to get ourselves there. We're called to take a whole bunch of people with us. And if you are so consumed with the havoc that the devil is wreaking in your life, and that's all you can handle, like, oh my goodness, I'm sick. My finances are a mess. I don't know what to do. I just feel like I'm constantly under attack. I, you know, I got this to deal with, and then I got that to deal with, and your head is spinning. If, if that's the way you're living, you will never be thinking about winning souls. You will never be thinking about laying hands on the sick so they can recover. You will never dare to think about raising the dead and casting out demons, right? Because you're so consumed with yourself. And so the enemy wants you to be so consumed with your lack and what you need and what needs addressed in your own life and your powerlessness to address any of it that you can't win souls, But you were given all authority, all the authority of Jesus Christ was given to you so that you can operate in it, so that you can show the devil, you can attack that person, you can go over there, but you can't come here. I love that scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says that, you know, be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Because when I hear that, I think, okay, he's seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking whom he has permission to devour. He doesn't have permission to come into my life. He doesn't have authority to mess with my life because I have the authority that Jesus Christ gave me. And I can stand in that authority. I'm going to tell you a story 
um, when I close, just about how we stand in that authority. You know, you don't have to be messed around. You don't have to be tossed around all the time. You can take a stand in the power of Jesus Christ against what the enemy is trying to do in, in your life. So listen, that was Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. Ephesians 6, 12 says this. It says, we don't, uh, you probably know this one. I'm going to read it out of the New Living. It says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. People read that and say, uh-oh. <laughs> We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It would almost be easier, wouldn't it, if we wrestled against flesh and blood? Because then you, if you're just a really strong person, then, then you're okay, right? I know how to fight flesh and blood. But we don't fight against flesh and blood. And then it gives this scary description. We fight against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's, that scripture wasn't meant to scare you. It was meant to inform you. It was just meant to tell you, you know, you're not my enemy. Somebody I can't see is my enemy. Somebody that's behind the things that you're doing is my enemy. It wasn't meant to scare me. It was meant to inform me. So it is true that we fight against principalities and powers and, and unseen things. But what we mostly don't understand is the position that we stand in when we fight those things, right? So listen to this, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in all, all of scripture. Colossians 2, 13 and 15, 13 through 15, says this, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So there was a time we were dead. There was a time we were helpless. There was a time where we had no defense to Satan. You know, we were dead. We, we were in his kingdom. Therefore, he had authority over us. There was a time. But then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, and he canceled the record of the charges against you. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross and listen to verse 15. In this way, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them in the cross. Do you know that these, these principalities and these powers that you fight against, they are disarmed. They have no weapon to use against you because the, their weapon was sin. Their weapon was the fact that you were unredeemed, that you were, um, you were in death. Basically, you belonged to him. He had authority over you. But Christ, when he died on the cross, canceled the debt. Everything against you has been canceled. When you come to Jesus, everything against you has been canceled. And by doing that, he disarmed the principalities and powers. Listen, you can arm them again if you want to. If you start walking in sin, you'll give them back all that ammunition. So, you know, my, my second favorite sermon to preach is why you don't have to sin, because we are so 
super provided for, that it's ridiculous. If we sin, it's a, it's a choice now. But your enemy is disarmed. If you're walking in obedience, if you are walking in him, if you remain in him, he is disarmed. And I think about it, and I think it's almost not even a fair fight, right? Jesus is above everything. We have been seated with him in heavenly places. We have been given authority over all power of the enemy. We have been sent on a mission from Jesus to make disciples of all nations, to call them in, to win them to Christ, and then to get them filled with the Holy Spirit so they can walk in victory too. It's almost not a fair fight if our enemy isn't even armed. Yet... What we don't know is what destroys us. And mostly, Christians don't know that. The Bible's a lullaby. The Bible's a tranquilizer. The Bible is a bunch of psalms to put us to sleep. And the Bible's a bunch of proverbs, you know, to to make us wise. I'm not knocking psalms and proverbs because there's power in all of that. But it's the way that you wield your sword that makes a difference. If you use your sword to lay your head down on and go to sleep, it's never going to do any damage. But if you learn how to efficiently wield this sword, if you get in here and find out who you are in him, I challenged my, my church today to just even get into the book of Ephesians and underline everywhere that the phrase in him or in Christ or through Christ or through him is, and then read those scriptures until you believe them. And your life will change. See, but the problem is we, what we don't know can hurt us. What we don't know does hurt us. My people perish for lack of what? Knowledge. It's not for lack of power. It's not for lack of provision. It's not for lack of authority. We perish for lack of knowledge. It is this book that is your sword that equips you it shows you everything that belongs to you if you read just the book of Ephesians here and got everything into your spirit that it said you would walk a little differently you wouldn't be asking God to rescue you all the time you would be standing in your authority as a powerful child of God like he has called you to be So Ephesians 1 tells us where Jesus is. Ephesians 2 tells us where we are. Ephesians 3 tells us why. Because you were meant to make the devil's time here on earth absolute hell. You were called to wreak havoc for hell, right? That's what you were called to do. You were never called to just curl up in a ball and stay alive until Jesus returns and takes you to heaven. You can do that and you'll still go to heaven, but you're going to be listening to everybody else's stories and think, man, I wish I would have done that too. There is so much available to you and you're fighting an enemy who has been disarmed. Amen. I just want to tell you a story before I close something it's kind of funny it happened to us and it just happened this week and so Scotty is a um he's the chief deputy at our sheriff's department and so you know what's happening in the world right now right we have a lot of protests and some of those protests are turning into riots and uh mostly 
the protesters are not the rioters. Mostly it's, it's a concocted thing. It's uh, people being bussed in, they're being brought in to actually cause trouble. They're not from there. Um, they're being equipped with bricks and weapons and things like that to actually cause trouble. And it's not actually most of the protesters that are causing trouble. Well, anyway, I'll jump back a little bit. I was driving down the street by my house. Um, I think it was Thursday. And I saw a young man walking down the street. And he was early in his early 20s, just, you know, nice-looking young guy. He had a real modern haircut, real modern clothes on. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this guy doesn't belong here. He's here to cause trouble. And so I just... It, it hit me so hard that I stopped my car right where I was, and I watched this kid walk in my rearview mirror um, because there were some ladies walking towards him, and I wanted to make sure he just kept, you know, walking past and so I didn't have to run over him with my car. <laughs> I don't know what I thought I was going to do anyway, but <laughs> I'm not known for my, for my physical toughness. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so he just kept walking, and I just sort of filed that under, okay, God, you told me that. I, I hear it. I receive it. If I see him again, you know, I'll keep my eye on it or, you know. And I didn't even say anything to Scotty. And then... Uh, Thursday night, was it Thursday night that we, what day was it that the, the protests were in Wheeling? Friday? Okay, so Thursday night we hear um, there's going to be protests in Wheeling on Friday. And so they're all going to have to go. All of the policemen, like, they're taking all the policemen out of our city. We live in Wellsburg, which is a small city. And they're taking all of the policemen out of the entire county and sending them to the next county. So basically, if you want to commit a crime in our city, that's going to be the best time ever because there's nobody there. So we hear that um, they're all going to have to go on Friday uh, to be present just in case it, it goes bad. And, and what we specifically hear is that they are bringing in two busloads of paid protesters from Columbus. And so it wasn't the people in Wheeling that, that the city was worried about. It was the people that were being bussed in from Columbus who are actually paid to just burn down your cities. So I don't know how it went in Fairmont and Morgantown. I don't know if anything crazy happened here, but um, that's what's happening all across, all across the United States right now. So anyway, uh, Friday morning comes. He's, he's got to go. And when he's getting ready to leave to go to these protests, you know, I'm like, let's pray. We prayed and just pled the blood over him and all the, all the other officers. And, and it just came to my mind. I said, you know, I saw this guy yesterday, and I didn't even think about it until now. I saw this guy, and the Lord told me, you know, that he doesn't belong here. He came here to cause trouble. And Scotty, as he's leaving, he doesn't tell me things because he – doesn't want me to worry. And I, I mean, we've been through this for 26, 25 years now. You know, I'm, I'm used to him, you know, going out into the wild blue yonder. I don't know what he's getting into, and I'd do better if I don't know. So he, on purpose, doesn't tell me things. I don't listen to the police scanner. I don't want to know. I don't even watch the news when he's working because I don't want to know what's happening. Um, it's just 
better for my mind that way. Anyway, um, he's getting ready to leave, and, and I, sa- I told him about this kid that I saw, and he said, oh, he said, we did get word that, um, was it a certain group, or it was, just, was it just people? Okay, the group of protesters that was being shipped in, that they had been getting on uh, the county assessor's websites and finding out where police officers lived, and they were coming to their homes to personally attack police officers in their, in their homes. And he told me that as he was walking out the door. <laughs> and, and every other police officer in the county is walking out the door to go to Wheeling. And after I told him about this boy, <laughs> he, and, and he's, I was like, okay, we're just going to plead the blood of Jesus over us and over this house. And so he left. And then I started to feel fear. I started to feel like, okay, here I am. It was just me and Ben at home because, you know, the other two kids are, are older, and they're not at home with us anymore, and uh, I didn't want to freak Ben out and act crazy. I didn't want him to be scared, but I started to feel fear, and I just, it made me angry. I said, you know what? I know what this is. I know that fear is not from Jesus. I know that he has not given me a spirit of fear, so I started to get mad, but what else I did is I, <laughs> As he was leaving, he told me where he kept all the guns. So <laughs> he's like, there's two guns over here. There's one gun up here. And so I went and got, I went and got the little gun because I, I feel confident how to use the little gun, but it only has five bullets in it. And I thought, well, I am not a very good aim. And so I went and got the other two guns out, and I started to Google, how do you shoot a 40 caliber gun? I didn't know if you had to pull the thing on the top back or what. I'm not, I'm not a, I wasn't really raised a country girl, so I don't know how to shoot handguns. So I'm Googling it, and, you know, the lesson here is learn how to shoot the gun before you need to shoot the gun. You know, you need to prepare ahead of time. And so anyway, um, I start Googling that, and then I thought, you know what, stop. So I still have the one gun in my hand and I walk out on the porch and I thought, I have been given authority over all power of the enemy. And the Bible told me I could step on snakes and scorpions and nothing shall by any means harm me. And so I just started, I started to pray in the spirit and I said, you know what? I take authority over this. This thing isn't from God. These people coming into this city to cause problems, they weren't sent by God. This is not God's agenda. This is not God's plan. And so I began to take it. Listen, you need to learn how to, it's not good enough just to know that you have authority. You need to learn how to practically stand in your authority. And so I didn't even pray, God help me. I said, in the name of Jesus, Those buses will never make it to Wheeling. In Jesus' name, those buses are dead. They are going to be stopped. Something's going to happen. They're never going to make it there. They're going to have that peaceful protest. I'm all for that. But there's not going to be any damage done. There's not going to be any policemen hurt. There's not going to be anything happen that is going to be destructive. In Jesus' name, I don't know why I honed in on that, but it was just the, the Holy Spirit led me to that. In Jesus' name, those buses are stopped right now. 
and I was walking up and down my sidewalk with a gun in my hand outside. And I'm just saying that, praying in the spirit. And I don't, our neighbors probably think, well, they never came outside, probably because I was standing out there waving a gun around. And maybe that kid was coming around and he just saw me waving the gun and thought, I better not come here. I don't know. Sometimes if people think you're crazy, it works just as well, you know. But um, I, just pr- I just said that, and I called Diane because she's my, she's my spiritual buddy, and, you know, we took authority over that together because two, if any two agree it's touching any one thing, it shall be done, and so there's power in that. And so I prayed, and I went inside, trying not to let Ben know what his mom mama was going through <laughs> I should have asked Ben because he plays those games all day he knows everything there is about guns he's he's a call of duty nut he probably could have shown me how to do anything I wanted to do but went inside and sat down and so I texted Scotty and he's so good he always when he's out he'll always text me everything's good you know boring night nothing's going on here and so I texted him and said how's things going he said Nothing's happening yet. Nobody's here. The protest was supposed to start at noon, and, you know, nothing's really, really happening. There was about 10 people on the street or something uh, protesting, which is great. They were getting to, you know, getting their point across, all that. Um, And I texted him a little bit later, how are things going? Nothing's happening yet. It's pretty boring here. And then I texted him later. He said, we're about ready to wrap up. He said, Columbus PD stopped the buses before they even got out of the city, and they never made it to Wheeling. And I said, you're welcome. (laughs) But listen, that's what I said to my church, too, and they laughed. And I said, you know, you can laugh because you can think, "What, what could she do? But if I didn't believe in my heart and confess that when I confessed it with my mouth that those buses were, were dead. They were stopped. They were, they were done. If I wouldn't have believed it in my heart that I had the authority and power to declare that thing, it wouldn't have happened. You can't just try these things. you got to believe it. I, and I told my church about this today. You, you know the story about the seven sons of Sceva? They saw Paul walking in power. They saw Paul casting out demons. And they thought, hey, maybe I'll try this. This is pretty cool. That's not how things work in the spirit. You better know. You better have a belief in your heart before you speak something out of your mouth. And those seven sons of Sceva, they spoke something to those demons to try to get them to go. And they said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but you I don't know. And, and they attacked him. They actually overpowered him because he didn't have the authority and power. He wasn't op- they weren't operating in the authority and power of Jesus Christ. So you better butt your sweet butt. When I said those buses are dead, I believed that I had the authority to declare that thing and make it happen. There didn't have to be 20 of us on our, on our knees crying out. That's good. Prayer is good. Prayer is powerful. But sometimes you don't have time to do that. Sometimes you just got to stand in that authority. And so some of you are facing situations where you feel like all hell is coming against you. And you're praying and saying, you know, 
what do I do, God? What do I do, God? And God is going to say to you, I already gave you everything that you need. You need to stand in authority against these things. Maybe your kids are running around and acting crazy. You need to take authority over that in the name of Jesus. Your kids are under your authority. And you need to address whatever's happening in their lives in the spirit. I bind that spirit of alcoholism in Jesus' name. I bind that spirit of drug addiction in Jesus' name. And if you believe that thing in your heart and then you confess it with your mouth, you will have what? Whatever you say. And you have to say it to act in authority. So church, you are not going to be put to sleep. You are not going to be placated into oblivion. You are, you are a, the fiery church of God. God is raising you up to walk in power. It doesn't matter how tough you are. It doesn't matter how, you know, it doesn't matter what your flesh looks like. It doesn't even matter, you know, how confident you are in your own ability. Jesus Christ is above everything. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. You are seated with him in heavenly places. And he did all of this so that you could, he could display his wisdom through you to all the principalities and powers. And you can show the devil that you can attack some people. You can go some places, but you can't come here. You can't come into my life. You can't come into my family. You can't wreak havoc in my finances. But you need to stand in authority against those things. Authority and obedience, those two things go together. And I know you got good pastors that are teaching you about that, so I don't even need to go down that road tonight. You can't take authority over your finances if you're not tithing. You can't take authority over things if you're not in obedience in those, in those areas. But I want you to know, church, tonight, that whatever it is that is trying to take from you or take from your family, that you have everything that you need because of Jesus Christ to stand against that thing. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. If some out of, out of shape, out of breath preacher <laughs> can stop a couple of buses in Columbus, Ohio, from coming into Wheeling, West Virginia, then you can stand in your authority for whatever it is you need. Husbands, stand and authority for your over your marriage if there's the enemy's trying to come into your marriage stand take authority over that spirit that's trying to come in there parents for your children whatever it is let's stand to our feet pastor Brad do you want to close